doctor in Kingston uh, uploaded a picture to Twitter and uh, sent it out, uh, attached a, you know, a comment to uh, our Ontario Health Minister, Eric Hoskins, to ask what you think in the Kingston area MPP, you know, to find out what they thought of it. It was a new patient referral. Uh, she was referring someone to a neurologist, and the wait time came back at four and a half years. It seems absurd, especially if you're the person with a neurological problem and you're going to see a specialist. I'm sure that that almost might make your head explode if you get that information. Yeah, the wait time's four and a half years. But is it absurd? To get some perspective here, Dr. Sean Whitley, Watley, rather, who is the OMA president, joins the show. Sean, it's good to have you back on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thanks for being here. So, um, you know, the alarm bells are sounding with regards to this referral. Uh, four and a half years seems like an extreme case, is it? Well, I appreciate the fact that you're having this topic on your show, and it's 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 sad that it requires a note like this, four and a half years, to really spark interest again. Really, like you were saying, I think in your opening introduction, that this has become so common that we need something outrageous to actually capture our attention. A lot of times what docs are getting back from the consultants is, I'm sorry, I can't see your patient. So in other words, it's an infinite wait time. But those kind of letters don't capture as much attention. So we have to, number one, feel really bad for the patients who is involved in this case, but number two, congratulate the physician and the specialist for actually being honest enough to say, you know what, this is the real wait time and putting this number out there because we need to be having these conversations. Do we have an idea of how bad the wait times for specialists in Ontario are? Well, it depends on what you look at. So, for example, for hip and knee replacement, uh, it's 218 days to get your hip replaced and 259 days to get your knee replaced. However, that's overall. Mm -hmm. You look at certain pockets here and there. So, for example, just up until recently in my area, it was a two-year wait to get a joint replaced. And the absurd thing about it is despite these long wait times, we actually have unemployed surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, whose job is to replace joints. So we have unemployed doctors. Why are, are they unemployed, to... Sean? Well, because we don't fund the operating room. Interesting. Yeah. So this all runs down to underfunding the system. Well, it's not just underfunding because I don't think a whole whack of money is going to solve all of our problems, but certainly money always plays a role. It's how we spend the money, how hospitals are funded. Currently, hospitals get block funding, so they get a chunk of money to care for a whole bunch of people in their community. They're slowly moving towards quality-based funding, but we need patient-based funding for hospitals to be incentivized to truly deal with the volume that comes to their door. Okay. if In layman's terms, explain what that would look like. Oh, I apologize. Sorry. So so if funding follows the patient, then every single procedure that is done at a particular hospital, the hospital actually gets more money in their budget. So they're rewarded for seeing more people. Whereas if you have block funding, uh, like what used to be the standard across the province, a uh, hospital would get uh, let's say $100 million to stay open and serve everybody in the community. Well, if needs increase in the community, there's more sick people or the community grows, like many of the bedroom communities around Toronto, then that's not enough money in the budget to care for people. And so what happens is that hospitals try to spread that money out more and more thinly. And so you see patients in, in hallways and you see long wait times in the eMERGE, and then you see fewer hours available for operating rooms be open and then you end up with unemployed orthopedic surgeons so it, it's a vicious like everything's connected 
You also pointed out, I know that you were recently talking about this uh, this very uh, post, and you were talking about how, you know, it, it, the sad thing is that, uh, you know, we'd like to say that we have universal health care, but not all patients have access to that uh, health care. You know, could there be an argument made that the there isn't a bias within our medical system? It's just geography. If you live in a remote area, you'd be, you, you should be willing to travel because, um, you know, it goes for, you know, just visiting a cardiologist or urologist. You can't have a specialist in every small town because they would be, you know, waiting there, you know, underserving the population, I guess. So fair point. If I'm the only person living on an island in the northern regions of Ontario, do I need to have all specialty services around me? I don't think that's fair. I don't think the taxpayers can pay for that. But when we're talking about unfair access, we're talking about within urban centres. So I'm looking right now at an article in a New England Journal of Medicine. It's from 1999. It's not new, but it's certainly a premier journal in North America. There are many other articles like it. But it shows that there was a 23% increase in the number of heart procedures done if you were wealthy. And as well, there was a 45% decrease in wait times compared to people who were poorer. And, and what we find is people with a higher socioeconomic status know how to work the system. They know people on the inside. They can travel if necessary. You know, three hours to get the procedure done more timely is not a big deal. So we campaign for Medicare based on the idea that everybody gets care regardless of their ability to pay. But we've got evidence for over 15 years now showing that actually the poor people in Canadian society have less access to necessary medical care. And so I think we have lost our moral high ground in saying that we have equal care for all. And all, at the same time, we have long wait times. So we're ripe for an opportunity to improve our system. We can do this. Let's solve it. This isn't rocket science. How do we solve it? Just going back to that original uh, funding uh, model that you were talking about? Well, again, it depends on the issue. So, for example, if we're talking about acute care hospitals, absolutely. Let's change the way they're funded. Let's let funding follow patients so that every time a patient comes through the door and we've seen this with little pilot projects for example for example with emergency department funding if you attach dollars to every patient that's coming through tax dollars again this is not coming out of patients pockets these are all tax dollars but if hospital administrators now see volume so the see if they see those wait lists as number one now they can actually deal with wait lists and number two they're not losing money by caring for more patients lo and behold more patients get care. Um, so that's one simple change, but you have to look at emergency departments as a different way, uh, surgical wait times as a different approach, and, and we have to be nuanced enough to create solutions for each of these problems, and they are solvable. Well, what's the holdup? I mean, wouldn't governments be looking at these uh, models favorably, you know, because they're always campaigning on the fact that we're going to reduce wait times. Look at how well we're doing. Yeah, so the first thing is awareness. So things like you're doing right now, I just can't thank you enough. This is fantastic that you have it on your show. So number one is awareness. Number two is actually creating a true collaboration. Too often we think that government will save us and we throw these terribly complex problems at the feet of government and say, fix it for us. I don't think government can fix it. We need a collaboration, which includes and starts with patients, 
doctors, nurses, allied health, hospitals, administrators, bureaucrats, we all have to sit down and focus on a particular issue. Let's say it's emergency wait times. Let's say it's long-term care wait times. Let's start, you know, you pick your problem, but we can't just throw it at the feet of government and say, okay, you go fix it for us because they, they don't have the tools to fix it. That's asking a lot of people to get together and collaborate. That's how the world works, right? It's about getting together and collaborating. I, I think this is how every other industry works. You, you think how, of, of how you get bread on the, on, on, the, on the supermarket shelves. I mean, it's a whole bunch of people working together. We have to do the same in healthcare. This can be done. Again, it's not rocket science. It's just a willingness for us to be creative, be innovative, and not be so stuck to our old procedures and policies. Well, uh, Dr. Watley, it's always a pleasure talking to you on the show, and I appreciate you, you know, having a, a hopeful message for us because a lot of times we hear stories like this and think, well, we're doomed. Yeah, oh, no, we're not doomed, but it is bad. We need to fix it soon. Thanks so much, Doctor. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate your time. Dr. Sean Watley is OMA president, and we're talking about this insane story, you know, uh, four and a half years to see a neurologist.